guys, this is Alex Metzger from the Eminem Hockey Podcast, and I am here with the third line plug, Sensecast. This horrible year never end? We've never lost a year before, and I'll be damned if we're gonna lose one on my shift. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's good, and as much as as much fun as it was to be on the island, it's good to be back. That is true, man. That is true. Now I gotta ask, because you did fly out today from Victoria, Nanaimo? Yep. Victoria? Victoria. So I gotta ask, man, how was your flight from Victoria to Calgary? It was fine. It was direct, so it wasn't like on the way here where we actually went through Edmonton just because that was the seats that were available. Seriously? So, Seriously? Wait, yeah, hold on a second. Are you trying to tell me that you went from Calgary to Edmonton, Edmonton, Victoria to get here? Yes. That's what happens when you book your flights late, kids. I know. Well, you know what, Tim? I mean, you can't expect them to have like 20-20 vision, though. No, but I can expect myself to do things in an orderly fashion. Sorry, I'll see myself out. I just made a bad joke. So, Tim, let's get on to this episode. Today's episode is Season 3, Episode 13, in chronological order, Episode 67, the Ben Harper edition of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. So, just a little back story about Ben Harper. He was drafted 108th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2013. He played parts of four seasons with the Senators, recording one goal, six assists for seven points in 103 games. He was traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs along with Cody Ceci for Nikita Zaitsev and Connor Brown on July 2nd. Now, you know, I know that the last season or two that we always ripped on Ben Harper and we always talked about his flaws and the fact that he was softer than baby shit given he was like six foot seven. But the one positive I will give is actually about his one goal with the Ottawa Senators. Can you guess which game he scored that goal in, Tim? Uh, I want to say it was, I remember being in the playoffs. Correction, it was not in the playoffs. It was really? a regular season game. It was the Eric Carlson returns to Ottawa game. Right. It was, and it was funny because Harper ended up with more goals than Carlson. I know, that's just, that was just disappointing to know, but, but you know what? Hey, you can't fault a guy for only having one goal, though. It's one more than what we got in the NHL. Yeah, true. Well, it's funny. Well, it's funny that this season's shaping up just as odd because I think Borbietsky still has more goals than Carlson. I know, and we're paying him what, ten million dollars less than what the Sharks are paying Carlson? Yeah. 
So, Tim, let's talk about next week's cover athlete because next week's episode is season three, episode 14 in chronological order, episode 68, the Mike Hoffman edition of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Well, that'll be fun. Unless Monica has something to say about it. Boy. So, Tim, now that we got that out of the way, we actually got a couple things we got to talk about. Now, before we go any further, alert, 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 alert. So, Tim, we got our very first interview for 2020 scheduled for February 10th. And the gentleman we're going to be chatting with is Mr. Daniel Esch, the founder of the National Podcast Network and co-host of the Brotherly Pod. So, basically, we're going to kiss our boss's ass is what we're going to try and do. You mean so we don't get kicked out? Yeah. Well, at the same time, we could just tell my favorite story. Oh, my God. Yeah, we'll see how long we last on the network if you if you do that. <laughs> oh, I'll probably find something else that's just as good. I mean, it, listen, it can't be any worse than when we made them say nice things about the Ottawa Senators. We weren't last place when we did that. I know, but you know what? In fairness, we actually had to say nice things about the Flyers, too, so it all balanced yeah, out yeah. in the end. So yeah, everybody, please make sure to check out that interview. February 10th, Daniel Esch will be joining us for an exclusive interview. So that's about, give or take, five weeks from now. So in about five weeks, you'll get a two-banger that week. You'll, you will get a Third Land Plug Sensecast episode and an exclusive interview that week. So Tim, one thing we actually got to talk about now, given that we just talked about the Daniel Esch interview, is at the beginning of this season, we made... We made the promise on the show that we were going to make a Sens Foundation donation for the third season. Now, for those that don't know, at the beginning of the season, Tim and I both decided that we were going to make a donation to the Ottawa Senators Foundation like we did last season. And how that was going to work out was that I would donate $1 for every goal Brady Chuck and Thomas Shabbat scored. And Tim would donate $1 for every assist to Chuck and Shabbat got. And both of us would donate $2 for every win. $5 for every shout-out, and $10 for every win versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, I'm, I'm proud to say that after 41 games, Tim, we have raised $112. Not bad. And we've only played one game against the Leafs this season, right? That's true, and we lost. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't have Magnus PRV with us anymore, so I guess you have to be a bit careful. That's true. Maybe they could put Scott Sabrin back in the lineup. He could be our new butt buster. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, and it's hard to believe because we we actually play the Leafs, I think, twice in the next month. Okay. Yeah. Actually, <clears throat> one thing I just noticed, Tim, that I said, you know, would donate $5 for every shutout. I'm noticing now the Ottawa Centers have yet to record a shutout in the 2019-2020 season. So I was just thinking about that today. I was like, you know, I wonder if a team has ever gone a full season without recording a shutout. Have they? I don't know. That's the thing. I was going to look it up and I kind of forgot about it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh God, could the 2019-2020 Ottawa Senators be that team? Are we going to be that team that doesn't record a shutout in a season? No. We'll just have to find out. Because, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, especially back in the 80s when you had teams that were getting seven, eight, nine goals a night. I wouldn't be surprised if during those years mm -hmm. there wasn't a team without a shutout. But uh, 
during the salary cap era, yeah, I'd be surprised if there wasn't. I know. I'm actually going to go ahead and quickly Google this because honestly, I it's starting to bug me now because I really should have looked this up earlier. But that's why we are on. That's why we're going to do it right now. Let's see. Has an NHL team ever gone a full season without recording? Shut up. At best, at worst, goalie records. Okay, here it is. So, the longest non-shootout record? Oh my god, that is fucking unbelievable. What? Okay, so apparently we would not be the first team. Oh my god, that is... What the fuck? I'm looking at all these teams. Okay, do you want to know the the streak right now? The longest non-shutout streak in the NHL, Tim? Uh-huh. The Calgary Flames... They started from November 12th, 1981. That was their last shutout. The next shutout, January 9th, 1985. They went 264 games without recording a shutout. Holy shit. The Los Angeles Kings was 261. The Capitals was 244. The Rangers, 236. Honestly, like, I am really, really amazed... Oh, and by the way, the Ottawa Senators actually hold one of the records. We're 16th, 134 games of the OG Ottawa Senators from the 1910s. And they were god-awful. And actually, a more recent Sens team, 128 games from December 28th, 2013 to October 14th, 2015. So we went almost the entire 2013-2014 season without a shutout? Yes. Because that would have been, that would have been Andy and Leonard. Um, would that have been, yeah, that would have been Andy and Leonard. Would that have been Bishop as well? I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> that's the team, if that's the team, that's really surprising. I know, that would be amazing. We should really look that up later on. But, I feel that before we do anything, Tim... I have not done this yet in the brand new decade that is 2020. It's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So Tim, unfortunately, we got to start off the newest Top of the Hour for 2020 on a sad story. Now, you know, a couple of seasons ago, we talked about Eric and Melinda Carlson losing Axel, and that was really heartbreaking for the Carlson family and the Sens fan base and the organization and unfortunately it appears another NHLer has lost their unborn child. Carolina Hurricanes forward Eric Howla announced on Instagram he and his wife lost their unborn daughter. So we just want to give a quick shout out to Eric Howla. We're thinking of him, you know, obviously what happened to Eric and Melinda, it was such a tragedy and the fact that the sad, the thing about hockey players is that because they're pro athletes, we seem to dehumanize them. And we tend to forget they are humans. So when stuff like this happens, it's like, oh, wow, like, that's heartbreaking. Because we only see what they have, on, what they do on the ice. We don't see what they do off the ice. Yeah, and definitely tough. And uh, I guess on the other side, though, you see, uh, like, when they have their own kids, you kind of get the other side of that. So it's, it's the the joy and sadness that comes in life and you get a bit of both. 
Yeah, but the thing is, Tim, even though we're starting off top of the hour with a sad story, we're actually going to talk about a good news story. Again, we're bringing up San Jose Sharks forward Joe Thornton because he has passed Adam Oates for 7th on the all-time assist list with his 1,080th assist. That's really impressive. I know. And, yeah. just, and unfortunately, just like Adam Oates, he also has zero rings to his name. Yeah. And they both because... play for the Bruins, too. Excuse me. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say that Adam Oates was out before the Caps finally won their their monkey-off-the-back cap trophy. I know, it's hard to believe he's that. He's been out of the league for, I think, 15, 16 years now. Yeah, and he was coaching for a good while. Yeah, he was not a great coach, but he was coaching. Uh-huh. The NHL has announced that the Minnesota Wild will host the 2021 Winter Classic at Target Field, home of Major League Baseball's Minnesota Twins. No further announcement was made regarding whom Minnesota will face in this game. Now, of course, this announcement is coming off the 2020 Winter Classic at the Cotton Bowl in Texas, which I believe is the third highest attendance with 85,000 people between the National Predators and the Dallas Stars. You know, at first I was a little surprised they weren't playing in a football stadium, and then I forgot, wait, the Minnesota football stadium isn't open air. Yeah, and you know what? I was saying that to my dad the other day when I was talking about this. I was like, you know, because... Minnesota just built that brand new stadium for the Vikings, and I'm surprised they're not doing it there, but then I realized, oh, wait, it's a dome stadium, and it wouldn't make any sense, but BC Place is a dome stadium, and they did one between the Canucks and the Senators in 2014. Yeah, and BC Place doesn't open, right? It doesn't. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, nowadays, I think it kind of can, but no, overall, it's a dome stadium. Yeah, well, I guess it's with Minnesota... You have Major League Baseball Stadium, which is about 50,000 people, so it'll work. It'll probably work pretty well, honestly, because the like the MLB stadiums have really good sight lines. Mm-hmm. And given that Minnesota is the state of hockey, you could also put the game in the University of Minnesota's football stadium, too, where the Vikings played for a couple of years. Oh, that is a good point. Yeah, I forgot that the, the university football stadiums are huge down there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the one in Ohio State is like 100,000 people, or 110. Yeah, that's, that's fucking nuts. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Ohio State, Tim, let's turn our attention to the Ohio NHL team, the Columbus Blue Jackets, because Columbus Blue Jackets head coach John Tortorella has been fined $20,000 and has been placed on probation until December 2020 for his comments made about the officiating in their game versus Chicago. If Tortorella violates his probation, he will be fined an additional $25,000. I'm actually kind of surprised he got fined, given that he's made worse comments in the past about players, about coaches, about reporters. I'm amazed it's about the officiating is what he finally gets slammed for big time. Well... I guess the thing is, the officials are in the rule book. The reporters aren't. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? I was just thinking about that. I was like, you know, Torts has made worse comments in the past. And yet, oh, sure. this is what he ends up getting dinged for by the NHL? <laughs> well, we all know how inconsistent the NHL is. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely, Sam. And you know what? When you know, we're going to get further along here at the top of the hour... I'll tell you, man, we're going to talk much, much about it. Mm-hmm. 
So, Tim, you know a few episodes ago, we were talking about former Dallas Stars head coach Jim Montgomery. He had been fired as head coach of the Stars for violating, I believe it was the terms or the ethics of the team or whatever it was. Well, we found out the reason why. Former Dallas Stars head coach Jim Montgomery has checked himself into rehab for alcohol abuse. Montgomery was fired as head coach of the Stars on December 10th. Now, as you remember, Tim, back in that episode, there was a reason why I didn't do the year fired, boys. Because instantly, because of the Bill Peters stuff, I was pretty sure that Jim Montgomery stuff was also going to be about he abused a player or did something. But then it finds out he went into rehab. And that's why he ended up losing his job. Yeah. Dude must have got sauced real good to get fired over it. Yeah, and that's true because we nothing came out about it. So they must have signed a ND, NDA or, or not just an agreement or whatever. All right, so Tim, let's go on to our next story. Dallas Stars forward Corey Perry has been suspended five games for his elbow on National Predators defenseman Ryan Ellis. Perry is not a repeat offender. Now this game, now this also took place during the 2020 Winter Classic at the Cotton Bowl. One thing that I really took away from this, Tim, Corey yeah. Perry is not a repeat offender. Really? Yeah, it turns out that repeat offender status expires, and it's been over half a decade since he's been suspended. Really? Yeah. Because I think the last time he was suspended was like 2012 for a game or two. That's crazy. I didn't even know about that. Speaking about the hit, though, I will not defend Corey Perry on this because that was a very dirty hit. And this is the kind of hit we've talked about in the past. Those are the kind of hits they want to remove from the NHL. Mm-hmm. And for it to happen, I'm surprised they didn't throw the book at him more because the NHL is trying to co- grow the game. They make this big premier hullabaloo game to do it. And then a guy just gets railed in the head in the first 10 minutes not even that it was under 10 minutes in the game yeah so it's like i'm surprised i'm honestly a little surprised they didn't throw the book at the dude because Corey perry isn't one of the premier players anymore so he doesn't have that protecting him and yeah this is the nhl trying to sell the game and you murder a guy speaking about the nhl and their bs suspensions vegas gold knights goaltender mark andre fleury was suspended one game for declining the invitation to the 2020 all-star game in st louis fleury will be replaced by vancouver canucks goaltender jacob markstrom and you know what tim you know my feelings on the all-star game and you also know the fact that if these players want to sit out they i personally feel they should give them that right and this they're, he's not the only person who's been suspended as Alexander Ovechkin was also suspended a game for saying, yeah, you know what, no, I'm not going to the All-Star game. I want to rest and keep my body ready for the playoffs. And honestly, I see a lot of people, and this is a very polarizing topic given that fans could say, well, it really helps the game if these guys all go to the game and, you know, they go to a city and they see everybody. But again, nobody really cares about the All-Star game anymore. It's not fun yeah. to watch. It's a glorified shitty game. And honestly, if you really want to grow the game, do what the NBA does. Do like, you know, they already have the skills competition, but make that the big, big thing about it. You don't even need to do the game. Just do the skills competition. The fans would come out and watch that. No problem. Yeah, make it fun. But I guess, like, the hard thing with the All-Star game is it. you're right, it, it's kind of a stale format. And uh, the other thing, though, is for the game itself, it was funny because Dylan Larkin, 
came out and said, hey, guys, don't vote for me. I don't really want to go, and I don't want to get suspended. Yeah, and it's kind of a shitty thing, but you know what? Again, like, this is really a... They're, they're invited to go. So really, you're not forcing them to go. You're telling them that, hey, you're invited to go to the game. You can represent the league. But if they say, listen, like, I'm really beat up. I'm tired. Especially guys that were in have been in the playoffs for so many years and their bodies are just worn down. Like, that's just another game that they're playing at this point. Pretty much. Like, yeah, like, guys like Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, that's a lot of wear and tear, and it's for a game that, other than the first three-on-three, one they did back with uh, All-Star John Scott, no one cares. Yeah, and obviously you can look at the TV ratings for those games as they get less and less every year they're put on. Yeah, it's like, at the same time I get it, it's kind of hard to get people interested to some it uh, something that is just a glorified game of shinny that has no real repercussions on anything. Because, like, at least with the Pro Bowl, it decides who gets home field advantage in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's true. And honestly, I feel if they do it that, well, I, I guess they can't really do it for the NHL because they do a seven-game series, not a one-game elimination. Yeah, pretty much. So, Tim, let's move on to our next story. Montreal Canadiens have signed Ilya Kovachuk to a one-year, two-way contract with $700,000 at the NHL level and $70,000 at the AHL level. Kovachuk recorded three goals, six assists for nine points in 17 games for Los Angeles before the Kings terminated his contract earlier this season. My, how the mighty have fallen, Tim. You know, it's hard to believe, right? And speaking of the All-Star game, one of my favorite moments of the last probably 10 years coming from the All-Star game was during the, funny enough, in Montreal when Malkin and Ovechkin had their whole little shtick with the hat and the glasses and you see Kovalchuk laughing in the background and it's because of Kovalchuk that's why they were able to do that because Ovi and Malkin hated each other and those two said, listen, you need to put your differences aside because next year we're going to the Olympics and you're going to be teammates. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting because I think Kovalchuk's surprising weakness as a, a puck carrier or just someone who's able to kind of create space has really caught up to him. Because uh, even during his heyday back in Atlanta, he was okay at generating offense, not great. But he could, damn, could he find the back of the net. But now at 35, 36, he did, doesn't really have the tool set to do that and... Not magic in the in the offensive zone anymore. No, it was tough because he went to a team in Los Angeles that is so behind the times and they're so slow and so old and they're not offensive minded. If he had gone to a team that was very high pace, high offense, say like the Vegas Golden Knights or a team like that that were very offensive minded, I feel he could have been much more productive. But going back to your days in Atlanta, he had the luxury of playing with guys like Mark Savard and Marion Hossa and Danny Heatley and players around him that made him better as well. Yeah, and it's always surprising that those sorts of players come through Atlanta, but they can never get it done. That's true, unless it was 2007. Did they even win a playoff game? They did, and they got swept by the Rangers. And actually, speaking of Kovalchuk, it was funny. Sean Avery talked about him in his autobiography, and he said that in that playoff series in 2007, Avery made a point to piss off Kovalchuk in that series. Oh, 
Sticking with the Montreal Canadiens, the Montreal Canadiens have acquired defenseman Marco Scandella from the Buffalo Sabres in exchange for San Jose's 2020 fourth-round pick. Scandella recorded three goals, six assists, nine points, and 31 games for Buffalo this season. This is just Buffalo clearing a logjam. Pretty much, and honestly, it's amazing because there was a lot of talks that Zach Bogosian was going to be traded, but given that he's got an over $5 million cap hit, I really don't see a team or even teams out there willing to take on that kind of contract at this time. Yeah, and sucks for Bogosian because I think he asked to be traded too, if I, if I recall correctly. He did. Yeah, so that's probably not happening. Yeah, it's not a bad move for Montreal because... You know, you get an upgrade on defense, but, and, and we'll talk about it later, they, they did have to move another defenseman to make room for him. But no, I think it's an okay move for Montreal. I think they acquire a decent enough defenseman, and Buffalo clears a log drama defense, so, hey, it worked out both well for both teams. Yeah, pretty much, and Marco Scandella is the average, so, yeah, it works out. The Buffalo Sabres have acquired forward Michael Froelich from the Calgary Flames in exchange, wait for it, Tim, for San Jose's 2024th round pick they acquired from Montreal 10 minutes prior to this trade. Froelich recorded five goals, five assists for 10 points of 38 games for Calgary this season. First off, slow down. Only Doug Wilson gets to go that fast. Secondly, this is a sneaky good pickup. Because Froelich in Calgary, he's had a fantastic season with underlying metrics, but the points just haven't caught up with him. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, Buffalo bought low here. Honestly, I can understand why they picked up Michael Froelich, because they found out that Jeff Skinner's going to be out for a number of weeks with an injury. Yeah, it's just for whatever reason, Michael Froelich's been completely snake-bitten in Calgary. And the other thing is, Froelich, has, he's either wanted more ice time or out of Calgary for a while, so maybe this is the best that Calgary could get from. Possibly, and you know what, given that, like I said, Jeff Skinner is out, if Michael Froelich can produce enough offense and prove that he's still worthy, maybe Buffalo can flip him at the deadline for a draft pick. Yeah, or if he proves well enough, keep him. Yeah, at 31, he's no Sprite Chicken. So Tim, let's close out top of the hour by talking about an Ottawa Senators story. Ottawa Senators have acquired defenseman Mike Riley from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for a 2021 fifth-round pick. Riley recorded four assists in 14 games for Montreal this season. Now, of course, Montreal had to make this get trade, given that they did acquire Marco Scandella. And we are going to talk about Mike Riley in the fourth game we're going to be talking about this evening, because I knew nothing about Mike Riley coming into this, and I understand that this was a really smart hockey move because Pierre Dorian is recognizing that Ottawa is really beat up on defense, given that, you know, who the fuck's out right now? Zaitsev's out, DeMello's out. Hainsey's out. Hainsey's out, so you're bringing in a younger guy, and this is a guy that apparently Pierre Dorian was very interested when he saw him in college, and he wanted to try and go after him, but... Unfortunately, it didn't work out. So it's good to see that Mike Riley has found a new home in Ottawa, and it's unfortunate that he was given the cursed number five jersey, though. Well, the hard thing, though, is Mike Riley's not good. I think he's a stopgap at best, especially because they've slotted him on the left side. So he'll probably get pushed down by Brandstrom when Brandstrom comes up. We're looking at a guy who uh, is pretty average in the offensive zone, but can't keep a puck out 
least to save his life. Doesn't play much on the power play and doesn't really. And from what I could see, and we'll talk about this later, he doesn't skate too good either. As a stopgap, I'm fine with this. And I actually don't know what his contract looks like. If his contract's up at the end of the year, then yeah, fine by me. Yeah, I'm just looking at my notes right now, and it's very easy to tell. I think you and I are going to have very, very different opinions about Mike Riley. But we're going to save that for the fourth and final game of the evening, Tim. Yep. So, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to go into the games. Now, we got four games to talk about this evening. We've got the Devils versus the Senators, Senators versus the Penguins, Panthers versus the Senators, and the Lightning versus the Senators. But before we do that... Let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Devils versus the Senators. This is a 4-3 Devils overtime victory. Devils goes scored by Nico Hersher, Nikita Gustav, Miles Wood, and Jack Hughes in overtime. Sens goes scored by Nick Paul, Artemisioff, and... Hutsabacho! Shots for 34-24 for the New Jersey Devils. It's somewhat even game overall. Ottawa started this game controlling the play and getting chances. However, momentum changed in New Jersey's favor after both teams had a fight. From there, both teams took turns taking the lead as Jersey began taking advantage of Ottawa's sloppy offensive play and lack of urgency. However, Ottawa kicked their game into gear as they were able to tie it up in the third, but it would not matter in the end as New Jersey would score in overtime to secure... The W. So let's talk about Craig Anderson. 30 saves, a .882 save percentage. Honestly, I thought he played pretty well in this game, keeping Ottawa in it, for the most part. Yeah, and it's hard because a lot of the goals that he let in, they came right in tight. And it's hard, especially when your team's giving up over 30 shots a night, but this is the Ottawa Senators we're talking about. Yeah, and it is one of those things, given that the Devils have been one of those teams, I think the sends really kind of take them lightly given that they look at their roster they because they just lost taylor hall so they're thinking okay yeah come on like this team should be easy but as you're seeing in this game it just looked like they as i said they didn't even look like they showed any urgency until they till new jersey took the lead and it's like oh shit we need to get our stuff ready to go here guys but as part of team tank this game went almost as well as it could have the only thing that it I would have been happier with is uh, regulation loss instead of an overtime loss. That's true. Actually, I was pretty happy with Thomas Shabbat, too. Actually, so was I. Now, let's talk about him. Thomas Shabbat, one goal and five shots. Absolutely looked in control offensively for Ottawa. The only criticism I have on him in this game was on the OT goal. It just kind of looked like he gave up on the goal, despite Jean-Gabriel Pajot being the one racing back to catch Jack Hughes. He was already at 28 minutes, though. He might have just had nothing in the tank. True, but, you know, even in overtime, though, you'd be... Just have, like, one final rush and been trying to catch him. But he just kind of glided, and you can see Pajot's like, okay, fuck it, I'll go for it then. And that's yeah, the one thing enough. about these games. I watch Pajot... Or not Pajot. I watch Shabbat do these kind of things, and I tend to forget he is playing 30-something minutes a night. Yeah, and, I th and it's funny because, like, a lot of the commentators are rightly bringing out, it's like, yeah, if, and I think even Shabbat said it himself in the uh, inter-period, the intermission uh, interview on the Tampa Bay game, it's like, yeah, you know, I prefer playing less minutes because I can give my all if I'm playing all those minutes, then, yeah, it's not like I can 
DJ Smith deploying players questionably because you had four players under 10 minutes, including Engaland and Yaros. Yeah, and I know... Sauberin and Bodin. Yeah, and even going back to our first half recap from our last episode, that was the one criticism we had about DJ Smith, is that it almost looks like he doesn't really know how to deploy them. Like, his player deployment has not been great, especially with the young guys on this team. Yeah, although what was nice is uh, Brandstrom got healthy minutes. Brandstrom Brandstrom and Borbietsky were at 22 apiece. And they honestly didn't look too bad. Could have been better, but not the worst Ottawa pairing by a while. So let's turn our attention over to Artem Anisiov. One goal and four shots. Overall, I don't know how you felt about him, but I thought he actually played a pretty solid game in this one. I mean, whatever he's putting pucks in the net, I'm happy. And uh, if he can continue to do that, maybe we're able to deal him at the deadline for a bag of beans where we don't have to take something back. Yeah, or you could be like Homer who got the jar of magic beans. Yeah. It's hard because, like, play wasn't exactly going Ottawa's way when he was on the ice. Uh, he was on for a goal, but he was also on for a goal against and a lot of shots right down the middle. But he put puck in nets, so I'll take it. The one final player I want to talk about this game, Anthony Duclair, one assist on three shots. Thought he looked really good in the first period, but overall he just couldn't sustain his play throughout the game. It was a surprisingly quiet night for Anthony Duclair. He was on the right side of it, but yeah, quiet. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing I've always noticed, is that when he has a quiet game, the Sens tend to not generate enough offense where they can really compete without him. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but that's what I've always noticed, is that Anthony Duclair, when he's on his game, the team around him generates a lot of offense with him on the ice. Yeah, and that's one of the things about the Senators is it is a team that is bereft of offensive power. Anthony Duclair being probably the best offensive forward, well, him and Brady can chuck. If he's not on, the Sens aren't on. And that it's a young team that's not deep. Yeah. And actually, one thing I failed to mention during Top of the Hour and even off the top of the episode is Anthony Duclair was voted and will go to the 2020 All-Star Game in St. Louis. Yeah, I don't think anyone saw that happening when the single trade occurred. No, not at all. But you know what I did see, though? was a contract extension, which we still haven't got. He is RFA, so they can't take their time. That's true, but I would much rather get him now for cheaper than come, say, July when we're going to be paying him top dollar to stay in Ottawa. That's fair. So, Tim, do you want to move on to the second game of the evening? Yeah, do we move on to the Malkin show? Yes, unfortunately. Sens versus Penguins. This is a 5-2 Penguins victory. Sens goals were scored by Nick Paul with two. Penguins goals were scored by Evgeny Malkin, Dominique Simone, Patrick Hornquist, and Jake Gunzel. Shots were 32-24 for Pittsburgh. Evgeny Malkin opens the scoring on the first shot of the game to make it 1-0 Penguins. Dominique Simone gets behind Nick Paul to receive the cross-eyes pass and puts it top corner to make it 2-0. Nick Paul gets Ottawa on the board to make it 2-1 after he was denied on his first shot. Malkin gets a second of the night to make it 3-1 Penguins after being left alone on the side of the net. Nick Paul gets a second of the night, putting in the Connor Brown rebound to make it 3-2. Patrick Hornquist scores to make it 4-2 Pens. Jake Gunzel scores and unfortunately gets hurt in the process, making it 5-2 Penguins. 
which would be the final. So this is the only game of the week that I condensed watch because my dad and I, we went out to see some family friends that night. We didn't get a chance to see them during Christmas Eve. And then, of course, the next day was New Year's Eve and New Year's came along and I just never got around to watching it. So I do have a couple of notes to make. Marcus, Marcus Hogberg, 28 saves, a .848 save percentage. The only thing I have to say about him is that I feel he should have had the first one, but overall I feel like his defense really did not help him out in this game. Well, holy shit, look at where all the Penguin shots are coming from. Right clustered into the net. Dude, Hopper was let out to dry, and I'm a little surprised he only let in five. I know. Like, that could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. But even on the second Malkin go, like, I watched that condensed version, like, what the fuck are you doing leaving him wide open like this? Yeah. Again, it's a young Senators team, and that's completely depleted on the right side. And it's weird inconsistent lines. And the other thing is poor Shabbat is tied to goal above. So even if Shabbat's making the right play, he could be completely screwed. Mm -hmm. And I think this comes up a lot. But the other thing is, Evgeny Malkin was on fucking rocket boosters. He was, and he was also mucking it up with Brady Chuck, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Nick Paul, two goals on two shots. I didn't see much of Nick Paul in this game, but from what I did see, he looked like he was in the right place at the right time to get those goals. Yeah, and Nick Paul was definitely one of the Senators' better players in limited ice, and it was actually kind of impressive because he did it with... Uh, JC, a lot of JC Bodane, and he saw some Anthony Duclair. But I really like being in the right place, being in the right time, and being on the right side of the puck. And Nick Paul has shown that he can consistently do that. And I think he'll be a very good depth player for Ottawa. Another player I thought had some really nice chances in this one was Connor Brown with four shots. Yeah, and it's you can definitely tell that they trust Connor Brown in those tougher situations. And other than the Malkin line, I thought he played really well. But no one really played it well against the Malcolm line except maybe Thomas Shabbat. So, Tim, I think we've waited enough time and we've delayed the inevitable. Evgeny Malkin versus Jean Gabriel Pajot. Now, how this all started up was in the final seconds of the game, a scuffle between Malkin and Chuck started off in the corner with everybody getting involved. And when Malkin got up, Jean-Gabriel Pajot gave him a shove as he skated by, and Malkin high sticked him. Now, for this, Malkin was suspended, not suspended. He was fined $5,000, and Jean-Gabriel Pajot was suspended $2,500. Now, back to what I was saying at the top of the hour, we're going to be talking about inconsistent punishments for players. Given that Malkin is a repeat offender, I am actually kind of surprised he got... He didn't get a suspension for what he did, but also... What the fuck is Jean-Gabriel Pajot doing? He knows that Malkin is a temperamental player. Why is he shoving him as he's skating by? Yeah, well, I guess the hard thing is... is Brady Kachuk also got a 10-minute misconduct on the play. so And he was a that, minus three, too. Yeah, so it's a bit of an undisciplined play. Mm -hmm. But again, it's frustrating knowing that Falcon gets away with shit. Yeah, and the one thing I noticed on Twitter during this game was that people were bitching about the fact... In the first period, I think this all started because Malkin took a swipe at Scott Sabrin, who just came back from his concussion. And people are thinking, really? This fucking guy just comes back from a concussion and you're taking a swipe at him? Yeah, and it's... I get it. 
he's a role player, but at the same time, this was a concussion that stopped a nationally televised game for 20 minutes. Like, it was that, it was that terrifying. So, it's like, it's not like he didn't know. No, it, it was so fucking stupid. And this is reasons why Evgeny Malkin is one of the more hated players in the National Hockey League. And this is why, outside of Crosby, this is why a lot of people don't like the Pittsburgh Penguins. Is it because of crap that Evgeny Malkin does to players? Mm. No, for sure. I wish the guy would get a decent suspension, but the way she goes. Like, I'm actually surprised that he never got suspended after the Weidman incident. Because that was gross. So, Tim, let's turn our attention to the third game of the evening. Panthers versus Senators is a 6-3 Panthers victory. Panthers were recorded by Evgeny Dandanoff for two, Noel Licardi, Frank Fertrano, Colton Seaver, and Jonathan Huberto. Sens was recorded by Tyler Ennis, Chris Tierney, and Connor Brown. Shot for 31-30 for Ottawa. Florida outplayed Ottawa in this game. Despite Ottawa outplaying Florida in the first period, while playing with lots of energy, which they sustained throughout, creating scoring chances and taking a 2-1 lead, Florida would then take over in the second as they found that extra gear to score four goals, taking the lead and capping it off with an empty netter to secure the W. So let's talk about Craig Anderson. 25 saves, a .833 save percentage. You know, Tim, I am always playing the devil's advocate when it comes to goaltenders. And you know, I'm like, well, you know, even though I have a below 900 save percentage, he didn't play that bad. Not tonight. Not tonight. Craig Anderson, this was not his best. But, again, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. His defense, again, did not do much to help him in this game. Yeah, they uh, they left the slot open. The only thing you could say that Ottawa's defense did for Craig Anderson is they kept it under 30 shots. Yeah, and that's probably, what, the one thing we can actually compliment the Ottawa Senators in this game? Yeah, and that's it's not a lot. Uh, and it's weird because the Sens played a really good first period and a really good third period, which is that, mi- that middle frame was an echo of last year. I know. I was always having non-flashbacks of 2018-2019, Tim. Yeah. Eric Brandstrom did not have a good night. No, he did not. And as a result, he got sent back to Belleville. I think for Brandstrom, it's going to be a lot of up and it's going to be up and down. Because you can definitely see that the skills there. It's just getting used to it. And I think part of it's also getting more used to the North American game. Although he has played in North America for the better part of two seasons now. True. But I don't know. I, you definitely see the player that's underneath there. And I think they're taking it slow with him, and that's fine. Yeah, that's perfectly fine with me. Let's turn our attention over to Tyler Ennis. One goal, one assist on three shots. The one thing I did like about this game, or about him in this game, is that I really, again, I really liked his hustle in this game, and I really liked the fact that he was trying to create scoring chances in this one. Yeah. Well, the thing about Ennis is you can definitely tell that this is his show-me year. And he's playing the hell out of it. And he was on the right side of the puck the whole night. And uh, I thought he did very well, especially in his third-line matchups. And uh, he has gold to show for it. One player I do want... Sorry, Tim. One player I do want to talk about, outside of Ennis, Thomas Shabbat had five shots in this one. Now, the one thing I will say is that even though he was on the ice for a couple of these goals, overall, I didn't think he looked too bad in this one. No, I felt his skating was fine. He's on the right side of the puck, and especially on that two-on-one. 
he played that correctly, Anderson Anderson is the one who let him down. Mm-hmm. Because there were a few times where Shabbat took away the pass and then like played it perfectly, and then another center screws it up. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, was it this game or the Lightning game where Shabbat had that rocket from the, from the point and Dechuk tipped it and it bounced off the post and out? Uh, that was against the Lightning. That was against the Lightning. Okay, that's... Because I couldn't remember off the top of my head looking at my notes. I'm like, what game was that? Was it against Florida? No. Because it goes, like, straight into the air. I know. Oh, that would have been nice if he had scored that, but, you know, what else? Uh, one thing I do... The final note I do have of this game, and... You know, Tim, I've been watching hockey my entire life, and I've really... I've never seen anything like this. The first of getting down and off goal. Now, of course, like, I've seen goals like that. Okay, guys on the side of the net puts it in an empty net. No. Okay, yeah, whatever. It's what happened before he scored. Do you know what I'm talking about, Tim? No. So Cody Golabuff was in front of the net, and he had his back turned to down and off. The pass went right through his skate holder, and that's what gave down and off that split second to put it in. Oh, wow. Yeah, he had his skate... Like, I guess you're you're not really here for me to show you a demonstration, but say, you know, Anderson's right in front of you, and Gulabeff is facing him, and he has his skate, like, flat, straight. It went right through the hole in the bottom of the skate where the blade is. It went right through that, and it went to down and off. Jesus. Like, that... like I've seen players put get sticks and shit in there in the past, and I've seen a puck even go in there get stuck, but I've never seen a puck go right through it. No, that's so fluky, and because it sounds like Golbuff did the right thing, like he was in the place to block the pass. Yeah, and that's that was the thing because rough. honestly, that would have just gone off his skate and out. It would have never gone to down and off at all, and he could have just turned around and flipped it out of the air to get it out. Yeah, and after that goal, Noel Chari pops one in for like not even a minute after that, and it's just all downhill from there. Actually, when I saw the Achari goal pop up on my phone, I was like, not this again. I know, because remember, he torched us last time he played us in, yeah. what was it, the last episode we talked about? Yeah, it was the Noel Achari show, and I was really surprised to see it. Yeah, this is a weird, this, this Cats team is an interesting team, because they're firing pretty well, and they've got themselves into that wild card spot, but, man... They should be doing better, and the fact that Bobrovsky, that Bobrovsky signing has bit them in the ass so far this year is the only thing really holding them back. Because in a goal where they won, by, a game where they won by six, Bobrovsky is barely above nine hundred. I know like, it, it's, it's really embarrassing, man. For the amount of money they threw at him to bring to Florida, he really hasn't done much at all. Yeah, well, Bobrovsky's like that. Like he'll be hot one game, cold the next. And but if you're getting like almost ten million. Or I think he is at ten million a year. It's not good enough. So Tim, do you want to head over to the fourth and final game of the evening? Oh, this is going to be a fun one. Oh, this was a really good one. Lightning versus Senators. This is a five to three Lightning victory. Lightning goals were scored by Carter Vergotti, Kevin Shattenkirk, Braden Point, Tyler Johnson, and Alex Kilron. Senators goals were scored by Christian Neri, Jean Gabriel Pajot, and Mark Borieski. Shots were 28-27 for the Senators. 
Ottawa outplayed Tampa Bay for majority of this game. Both teams started off this game on even footing, playing solid defense and throwing the body. As the game went on, off Ottawa's offensive attack got going, which complemented their solid defensive play. Despite this, all the bounces would go for Tampa Bay as they were able to put the puck in the mat to secure them the W. So, you know, Tim, and I know you'll probably highlight a number of players in this game, you know, and there wasn't a lot of talk about because, honestly, for me, this was a really good team game. Mm-hmm. The Sens played solid defense. Their offensive attack looked really good, especially on the power play. Craig Anderson looked solid in this despite the below 900 save percentage. And even Brady DeChuck was pissing off the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, despite this, I do have a few notes to make of these players. And I want to start off with Mike Riley. First game as a center since being traded. Had three shots. Now, I know you and I talked about this before we hit record. Honestly, I didn't think he looked bad in his debut with the Senators. I felt he looked slow. And I don't want to say, like, his puck handling left a lot to be desired. It's one game, but uh, his history, it's not great. If he's just going to be a stopgap third-pairing guy, I have no issue. No, and it was the same, right? If, if If that's all he is, I'm fine with him. But that was the one thing I noticed in this game is that I thought he looked pretty solid. I thought... He tried his best to create some offense. He was trying his best to fit in. And honestly, I didn't think he did a bad job. Outside of coughing up the puck a couple of times, really, I had no real glaring issues with how he played in this game. Yeah. Although, at the same time, he did play fairly sheltered minutes. True. Although, I will comment, though, Tim, I'm surprised you're not making the comment that he's joining an exclusive club of not great players wearing number five. What was our last good number five? Phillips? No. Yeah. Sallow. Sammy Sallow. Sammy Sallow. Yeah, because Phillips has always been four. Yeah, well, when he was a rookie, he wore number five. Oh, right. Yeah, and remember, because that was the one comment they made when they announced they were returning his jersey numbers, that he started as number five, and then he went to number four, and the commentators was like, yeah, you know, like, number five has really not been a great number for the Senators. You know, you look at... You know, you look at the players, Cody Cece wore that, Andy Sutton wore that, Sammy Sallow wore that. It's like, I'm just saying, like, buddy, like, are you an expert? Like, are, are you, you saying, yeah, are you, like, you said you saw it, you said you were there, you said you're an expert? Because, yeah. you know, you're not an Andy expert. Andy Sutton was a revelation for the Senators. You know what's funny? Outside of that one moment, you know, the year an expert, I couldn't even have told you he played for the Ottawa Senators at all. Well, what's weird is just, yeah, he was a big dude. He existed, and that was kind of it. Yeah, which is and weird. Like, like I could have told you Zenon Kodnotka played for the Senators, but I couldn't tell you that Andy Sutton played for us. Well, to be fair, we picked him up for, like, a fucking change. Yeah, but uh, talking about, going back to this game, uh, it's interesting because Ottawa was kind of in the driver's seat until they just let off the gas in the third, and away Tampa Bay one, yeah, the Braden Point goal. And it's funny because Ottawa almost ties this game up. And you said last game it was something you had never seen before in a hockey game. Well, this game, it was a lot of something no one had ever seen before in a hockey game. With Colin White puts the puck into the net with his head. You know what? I was going to say this as our final note, but we'll talk about it right now. The Colin White headbutt goal. Now... As a fan, it is frustrating that didn't count because it would have tied the game. 
and it turns out there is a rule that doesn't allow those kind of goals. Now, you were talking about you've never, like, a lot of fans have never seen a play like this. I actually have. Oh. 2015, I can't remember which game it was, Chicago versus Anaheim, Western Conference Finals, Andrew Shaw did the exact same thing, and they did not count it. And he, I think he jumped up in the air and he headbutted it too. Oh, okay. Well, I guess it makes sense because the only thing you're allowed to swing with is your stick. True, and I, yeah, that's fair. And I mean, honestly, you would not think that there was a rule in hockey for that, right? Much like uh, going back, because Team Canada, again, just won the World Juniors there the other day, is that there was a play against Canada that should have been called a penalty, but it went off the camera and hit back on the ice, and they did not rule that puck over the glass. Because camera was deemed part of the ice. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, I love that somebody on, somebody on Twitter said that that uh, camera should have won a gold medal as well for that tournament. Yeah. Yeah, because Canada's power play wasn't doing too much, but hey-ho. One thing that I do like, I really liked out of the Senators this game is uh, their special teams actually looked pretty good. Chris Tanieri scoring on the penalty kill pretty much right out of the gates on the second period. Oh, I know. That's so good. Uh, sorry, just one final note I have to make about the headbutt goal. And you know that I always bring up the sense DJ Alex Marchand whenever I hear a music cue or a song that's being played. Immediately after the headbutt goal did not count, he played Where's Your Head At by Basement Jacks. And I laughed so hard when I heard that. I was like, oh my god, that is so fucking perfect. Oh, yeah, that well, was so great. I even tweeted at him too because I had you know the Carl from The Simpsons go with his fingers, I says, that was so perfect. But no, as you're saying, the special teams looked really good in this game, and there is one specific player I do want to talk about for that, and that's Drake the Snake Batherson. First game since being called up, one assist. Wow, he looked like a completely different player out there, especially on the power play filling for Anthony Duclair, and that's the one thing I noticed about the power play with Duclair not in the lineup, is that nobody is taking the shots in that. Everybody's passing, and they're thinking, okay, which one of us is going to be ending up shooting? Yeah, no, uh, Batherson definitely looked like a natural slot into the power play, and uh, you managed to get 16 minutes of ice time, a lot of power play time, and I thought he was skating awesome, and was almost always where he needed to be and doing exactly what was needed of him. Actually, one player I did think looked pretty decent this game, even though he had limited minutes, Rudolph Balsers, one shot, had some really nice chances this one, but I didn't really notice him much in this game with 10 minutes of ice time. Well, at the same time, I think it was the good type of I didn't notice him because uh, Anisimov Batherson and, well, like, sorry, when I think it was Batherson, it was Bodecker, Balsers, and Anisimov. They very quietly had a really good fourth line type of night where they went out, really stopped the opponent's third line and fourth line from generating energy and uh, pushed the puck where it needed to go. And all of them were on the right side of the puck, and I thought they looked great. Although Mikhail Bodker saw very limited ice time. He did. And actually, it's really crazy to think that Mikhail Bodker actually played at all in this game. Because, yeah. man, like, you never see him in this game. It's weird. And I'm just like... Oh, actually, sorry. One note I didn't bring in this. 
is that watching this game, two things I get, I got out of it. I almost had weird flashbacks to a couple of years ago because I see like numbers 89 and number five on the ice. I'm thinking, oh good God, is that Max McCormick? Is that Cody Cece? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> but yeah, it's just bonkers. DJ Smith always has the 12 forward playing like five minutes, seven minutes. Because like at 10 minutes with Balsers, that's a perfectly adequate amount of time for your fourth line. 12 minutes for an Eastmob, perfectly adequate. Bodecker at seven. Why is he even fucking here? I don't know. I'm honestly, I didn't even realize he was still on the team too. I thought, well, wait, Michael Bacher's still here? That's how they got rid of him. Yeah, well, it's, well, Sabrin's sitting out, Bobby Ryan's in, in uh, crisis management. Yeah, it's getting kind of thin. Yep. So, Tim, I don't have any more notes to make on this game if you want to head on to the close for another evening. That sounds good, my dude. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording for you. You can find us on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. We can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 HoneyBadger. Not Matt Greatway Gipster, GR8, WATE Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games we talked about this evening, top of the hour, you can shoot us an email. Third Line Plug Sensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim. So for the week to come, we've got three games on the schedule. We've got Tuesday. We are in Washington to play the Washington Capitals. Friday. We are part of the Alexa Bowl. We are in Detroit to play the Detroit Red Wings. And Saturday, we are at home to play the Canadiens. God, that Detroit game's going to be depressing. I know, but can you imagine if we lose? Oh, my God. That's the only bright side. If we end up losing that game, that's the only thing. Yeah, well, that also means that Detroit won a game. They only have 10 wins on the season, hey? I know. Well, in fairness, I think Boston's only won four of the last 15, so... Really, yeah. which one of the two is more depressing, guys? Like, what the hell happened in Boston? You know you know what it was, Tim? Much like Tom Brady, their offense has gone flat. Or is it that Marshawn has just not licked enough people yet? That's true, Tim. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Boston. Yeah, well, they'll figure it out, probably. Yeah. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetson. Go Sens, guys. Woo!